Hi, my name is, hi, my name is Carolyn Bellamy. Our reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Jacob, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of, this, of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The word of the Lord. A very, a very good morning to you. It's lovely to see you all, lovely to be here with you. Um, I, I thought I'd start off this morning with a little music quiz. I'm going to give you a lyric, and you have to tell me what the song is, okay? I'm going to give you a lyric. It's very, it's, you should get this. It's pretty simple. There's a lady who's sure. Yes! What was it? What is it? Yeah, so anybody, a Stairway to Heaven, do you know that? Do you know that song? It goes on. When she gets there, she knows if the stores are all closed with the words she can get you where she came from. Stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin. Come on. You all knew that, right? Good, good. Over a certain age, let's just say. Uh, well, I, I want to think a little bit this morning about stairways to heaven. Actually, uh, uh, Robert Plant wrote that as a sort of critique on materialistic societies. So basically, you can't buy your way to heaven is basically the message of the song. Quite good theology in a kind of a way. I'm not sure where he is with his faith. But I, I want to think about stairways to heaven because we read a passage about Jacob, usually known as Jacob's ladder. Now, that word ladder is not a great translation of the word that is used here. It's not really a ladder because when you think of a ladder, you think of a narrow thing, right? Well, one person can go up and one person can come down, right? But actually what's in view in Jacob's dream is like a ramp. It's like a grand staircase. It's a stairway between heaven and earth. 
And the bottom touches the earth, the top touches the heavens, and he sees, Jacob sees, angels coming up, ascending and descending. Angels, plural, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, streaming up and down. And in the ancient mind, a stairway, like steps, is one of the ways you try to get to heaven. It's a way you approach. If you think of the temples, they often had steps. If you think of Babylon, if you think of uh, uh, the Tower of Babel, they were all stepped pyramids there because that's how you approach God. You climb, you grasp your way up to get close to God. And in this dream, Jacob sees something like that. And at the heart of this vision is a sense of encounter. That in this moment in Jacob's life, which is a very low point in his life, he's going to encounter the living God. And as Tim Keller put it, who's a a well-known preacher up in New York, um, and I've drawn a lot of this talk from uh, a talk he did on this passage, Tim Keller says this, look, Jacob believed in God. He believed in God, but it wasn't enough to face the disasters of his life. Jacob had to actually encounter the living God. And I want to suggest to you that at some level, that's what we all need. It's why we come to church. It's why we're here this morning. Not to hear me preach. Not to run through the liturgy. But to encounter God. And this Genesis account is not really primarily an explanation. It's the record of somebody's encounter with God. So let me pray, and then we're going to have a look at this passage together. So Father God, this morning, as we've gathered here, as we often do on a Sunday, a lot that's familiar, faces that are familiar, this morning, would you help us to open our hearts as we look at this passage together, to hear from you and to open ourselves to the possibility that we might actually encounter you this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this morning, Jacob's life, with a point we've got to in Jacob's life, he's hit a really low point. Do you remember who Jacob was, right? Jacob, whose name means something like supplanter or deceiver. He's the one who seizes or circumvents or usurps. I mean, can you imagine starting off in life with a name like that? Not great news. Dad, Mom, what were you thinking? So we first meet Jacob in the biblical account when he's out to steal his older brother Esau's birthright. Esau, and I always remember this. I didn't really go to church when I was a kid. Didn't really do that. My family didn't. But for some reason, some phrases get through. You know, there's still church around. And Jacob, uh, Esau was, and it's in the proper English, an hairy man. I've always remembered that. Esau was an hairy man, but Jacob was a smooth guy. He was a bit of a smoothie. And, but anyway, he tricks his father Isaac. Jacob tricks his father uh, Isaac, makes him think he's Esau. And uh, Isaac gives Jacob the blessing that should have been given to Esau. So Jacob is actually a pretty easy character to identify with in the Bible because he's like us. He messes up all the time. He has many doubts. He fails. He has struggles. And he may have smooth skin, 
But having stolen his brother's birthright, at this point in the story where we get to him, things are not going well. He's actually been blessed by his father. I wonder if any of us here have ever thought, I would like to go to my parents and actively ask them to bless me. Has anybody ever done that or even thought to do that? But the blessing of a parent in the ancient world is more or less like the blessing of God being given to you. And Isaac had blessed Jacob. He said to Jacob, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. This is the Abrahamic, the Abram blessing being given to Jacob. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Sounds good, doesn't it? And I can imagine that Jacob walked out from that moment, that moment where he got, by deceit, his father's blessing, feeling like, I'm king of the world. Everything is now open to me. Wherever I go, blessing is going to follow me. Oh, no. Not so much. And in the passage we just read, the narrator of Genesis is really quite an artist. And in just a few little, little words, he paints this vivid picture of Jacob's life falling apart. Have you ever had a moment where your life has really started to just fall apart and you didn't even know why? Never? Wow, you people are lucky. I have. So first of all, we hear that Jacob, and these words are very carefully chosen, he's reached a certain place. What? Why, a cert- why not give it a name? You know, one of the things I love uh, about living in America is that you get from the names of places a great sense of how America was built. Do you know what I mean? It's the person who got there. My daughter's at Virginia Tech. It's Blacksburg. Well, there was a guy called William Black, and it's called after him. It's Blacksburg. Or you have place names like Providence. Hey, we arrived here, and it felt pretty good. It feels like God's Providence. Or Stillwater in Ohio. Why is it still water? I guess because there's water and it's kind of still. But you get this sense of people arriving in places and giving them names that reflect something of their journey and often their sense of God. But this is Nowheresville. Jacob has arrived in Nowheresville. There's no name given to this place. There's no ford, no creek, no pass, no well. It's a way of getting across that Jacob was out in the middle of nowhere, not just geographically, but in his life. And then secondly, we see that Jacob uses a stone for a pillow. I just heard that Johnny's been out walking, doing the Appalachian Trail, doing 15, was it 20, 25 miles a day, something like that, extraordinary, and staying in a cabin, but I bet you didn't use a stone for a pillow. It felt like it. It felt like it. What, what kind of state of life do you have to be in to use a stone for a pillow. So in two strokes of the brush, the artist of Genesis telling us just how completely Jacob's life has fallen apart. And we hear that at that moment in Jacob's life, the sun is setting. And it's like in the films, you know when it gets dark. It's not just because the sun is set externally. The sun is setting internally as well. The heavens seem to have closed in their silent God is nowhere to be seen. He's nowheresville. He's got a stone for a pillow. 
And it seems to me, and I don't know whether you've experienced this, but it's a terrible irony in life that sometimes when we hit our lowest moment, and in that moment we might somehow try to reach out for God, that it's often at that moment that we really feel like the heavens are closed to us. I'll tell you a little bit of my story. When I was growing up, the age of some of these guys over here, I struggled with depression from a very early age, from about age 10, 12, on right up through to my middle 20s. It sort of colored my entire life. And a lot of life was battling against this kind of fog of depression. I I remember, I I believed in God. I didn't go to church. My family didn't go to church. I didn't connect God with Christianity at all, or or the church. But I I would argue for the existence of God. I I don't even know why. I just would, you know, if we ever came up, I would say, no, I believe God. There must be a God. But I'd never encountered the God that I believed in. Certainly not in a church. And it felt to me at that time of my life, and I remember it very vividly. Not, I wasn't just trying to break out of something. I was trying to break through to something. I just didn't know what it was. It felt like the heavens were closed for me. And that's where Jacob is. And as you read this story, you're meant to feel that Jacob will now never get to his destiny. Whatever was promised to him, it's gone. God's actions are dark to Jacob, and God himself is remote. Every other generation in his family, Abraham, Isaac, they had encountered the living God, but not Jacob. Heaven was a closed book, so he lies down in Nowheresville, and he goes to sleep with a stone for his pillow as the darkness sets in. And then, out of nowhere, he has a dream. And what a dream. And it's as if within that dream, Jacob is waking up to a reality that's been there all the time, and he just can't see it. He sees this amazing stairway to heaven, this broad and wide ramp that connects the heavens and the earth. And we saw in verse 12, Jacob saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, the angels of God. I don't know what in the last time you saw an angel. When was the last time you saw an angel? On a Christmas card. Come on, you've seen angels on Christmas cards. Yes, and they have wings, right? And sort of floaty night dresses, and they float around. I don't know what they're doing. That's not what an angel is. C.S. Lewis said this, wherever you see an angel or hear of an angel in the scriptures, the first thing they say is, fear not. You're not going to be frightened by somebody in a frock with wings on their back. Well, you might be. (laughs) But an angel is something like, and it's very difficult to know exactly how to, to say it, but something like a messenger of God, a herald, somebody who actually, through whom God operates in the world. So when Jacob sees a stairway between heaven and earth connecting it, and angels ascending and descending, what's it saying to Jacob? It's saying God is at work. You may not see it. You may not know it. You may be asleep in Nowheresville with your head on a stone for a, uh, for, for a pillow. That does not mean 
that God is not at work. God's royal power, his majesty, his sovereignty is at work in the earth. The angels are ascending and descending constantly in a constant flow. It's the opposite of what Jacob imagines, that the heavens were closed. So Jacob, in the dream, has to wake up to the reality of God's work. He doesn't need to lie and cheat and steal to get God's blessing. And even when God feels remote, and maybe for some of you this morning, you feel like, I've come here to church and God feels an awfully long way away to me. If that's what you're experiencing, just think of Jacob's dream. This is the reality. God is at work in your life, whether you can see it or not. His angels are ascending and descending between heaven and earth. You know, I said that I struggled with depression for many years. I believed in God, didn't know who God was, certainly didn't attach him to the church, or Jesus or anything like that. And, um, you know, I, I had a fairly messy life. I was in my early 20s, and, you know, I didn't have a job. You know, these things, jobs. And um, I uh, ended up working, it's a long story, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. I ended up working at an opera festival, as you do. <laughs> and this opera festival uh, was in Italy, in Tuscany, a beautiful part of Italy, and there was an old monastery broken down monastery and this crazy Englishman had bought this monastery and he ran this opera festival, became quite well known and people would come up from Rome in different places and he brought the whole you know, orchestra and all the singers all came across from the UK and he built stage sets around this monastery and then they would put on this festival for a, for a couple of weeks and I went and worked out there and I worked with um, the guy who was building the stage sets and I, I used to like to go out at night because it was warm, no bugs and take my sleeping bag out onto the stage that we built and just sleep out there. It was beautiful. And you know, I'd lie there under the stars in Tuscany, actually profoundly depressed, still wrestling with that demon. And as I lay there, somewhere between wakefulness and sleep, not fully asleep, not fully awake, you know how it is, I heard a voice. I don't go to church, I believe in God, but I don't connect God to church or to Jesus. But I hear a voice. And the voice says one word to me. It's very clear. It's so real that I sit up and I look around to see who has spoken, even though at the same time I know in a way that I cannot describe that the voice that had just spoken to me was God. And I knew because somehow in that one word, I experienced something that I had a profound need of in a way, again, that is almost impossible to describe. But I experienced being known, fully loved, fully embraced. It was just the most sort of ecstatic, extraordinary feeling. And there was only one word, and the name that was given was Adam. No, I'm not Adam. It's not my middle name. It doesn't nothing to do with me. 
But I knew that that word was addressed to me, and at that time I needed to know that I was Adam, as in Adam and Eve, that sort of Adam, a man. That in that moment I encountered the living God. It took a little while, but that encounter changed everything in my life. I can't explain it to you. Sometimes I tell that little anecdote, if you will, and people go, nice dream. Sometimes people who may have encountered God smile and say, yes, I know. I know what that's like to encounter the living God. I was asleep. I slipped into some kind of a dream, half dream, half awake. And in that, I woke up to the reality. That's the story of Jacob. It doesn't matter how low you've got. It doesn't matter how close the heavens feel to you. God is there. He is present. And he is at work in your life, even now. And it changes everything, that sense of encounter. The whole Genesis account is not a theological treatise for you to understand who God is. It's the record of people's experiences from which we derive a sense of who God is. They are records of people's encounters with God. And they change everything. In Jacob's dream, Uh, he sees that at the head of the staircase, there stood the Lord. Imagine that. You're in a dream and you see the Lord. And God says to him, Jacob, who was pretty friendless, as far as I can make out, only his mother loved him. Poor old Jacob. Do you have that expression in the States? He had a face that only a mother could love. (laughs) Only his mother. Anyway, she's not there. He's never going to see her again, by the way. He's pretty friendless, and God comes to him and says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and God of Isaac, just in case you're not sure who I am. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the earth will be blessed. This is the Abrahamic blessing again, this time from God himself, saying, you remember that promise that I gave you through the father, even though you stole it? I'm giving it to you. I, the Lord, I'm telling you, this will happen in your life. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Imagine what that feels like to Jacob on his stone pillow. And it changes everything. And we see quite quickly how it starts to Jacob, who's never, at this point, as far as we can make out, cried out to God and said, Lord, help me. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God was at work, and I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then he gives the name, a place a name, Bethel. This nowhere place now has a name, Bethel, which means house of God. And Jacob makes a vow, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat. Not just spiritual stuff, but real food to eat and clothes to wear so that when I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. 
And this stone, and I love this, he's been lying on a stone for a pillow. That's how low his life has got. And he takes that stone, and what does he do it with it? He turns it into an object of worship. The very thing that looks like you couldn't go any lower than that. Jacob takes the stone and he makes it into a pillar and says, this is where I will start to worship. With the very thing that symbolizes how low he's fallen. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is not a talk on tithing. You'll be very glad to hear. But the tenth, the tithe, represents the whole. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to make you my king. I'll give you a tenth which represents all of who I am. I give to you. Everything has changed. Well, you might say, well, that's all very good. I get the encountering God thing. Yeah, I like that. It's a nice idea. Uh, but I haven't had a dream like you had, Matt, and I haven't had a dream like Jacob had. How can I encounter God this morning? How do I encounter the living God? Not just here teaching on it. Thankfully, you will forget everything that I've said within about five minutes of walking out that door. But if you encounter God, you won't forget that. Well, the extraordinary claim, and I know this is stunningly obvious on Sunday in church to say, but there is a man who came saying that he was the way to encounter God. And actually, in saying it, he refers to this very passage. Do you remember the story of Nathaniel? In John 1? No? <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell it to you then. Nathaniel had a friend named Philip. One day Philip came to him and said, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Oh. The liberator, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, Nazareth? God does not come down into nowhere places like Nazareth, does he? He doesn't come down into nowhere places. Oh, maybe he does. And Philip said, uh, well, come and see. So they're walking towards Jesus, and Jesus sees Nathanael and says, Hello, behold, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And Nathanael says, Whoa, how do you know me? How do you know anything about me? And Jesus said, Know you? I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. And he doesn't mean physically see. Somehow he knew this guy, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel in that moment has a revelation and says, Oh, you are, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel, just like Philip said. You're the one. But listen to what Jesus said. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You believe now. You've got it in your head. Well, you'll see greater things than that, Jesus says. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. On the stairway? There's a little twist. You will see, Jesus said, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man, Jesus says, I now, I am that stairway to heaven. I am the one in whom Heaven and earth are connected, and the angels of God are sending and descending on me, Jesus. Through me, God's sovereign power is working into the earth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, yes? So when you come to church on Sunday morning, you come here to encounter Jesus. 
How do I do that, Matt? Well, Jesus, when he left us before his crucifixion, said, it's better that I go, because if I don't go away, the helper, the comforter, the counselor will not come. So he said, I'm going to go, and there will come one who will bring you that sense of encounter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Scripture, the Bible. And then the Spirit does the work in the earth. And what does the Spirit do? He gathers strange and wonderful and odd and people like you. The church. So you come to church here to encounter the living God. In the worship, in the scripture, in the word, by the spirit, through other people, a small gesture, a kindness. That's what you're here for. You can't force an encounter, but you can open yourself to it. I was at another church last week, and uh, the, the preacher said, she said, well, you know, one of the things I love about Anglicanism, and this is an Anglican church, I think it is, isn't it? So that it, you know, it gives you different ways. She didn't use the word encounter. I'm slightly putting that on her. She, to encounter God. She said, you know, it's, it's a head, heart, but also a body thing. She said, sometimes I come to church and my head is elsewhere. It's just full of stuff, full of stuff from the week. I've just bought a car. I'm like, do I like it, do I not? Oh, ah, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> or, or my heart is not in the right place. It just isn't. I'm just cross. Or just had an argument. Maybe my head and my heart, but at least I can come and I can kneel. I can open my hands. I can physically make myself available to God, if nothing else. And if I can't even do that, I may ask the nice folk at the back to come and make a prayer for me. All that is doing, you're opening yourself to the possibility that in some small way or some big way, you might actually encounter the living God because that's what you need. That's what you need. Teaching and doctrine is wonderful, like guardrails that keep us in line, that stop us wandering off. What you need, you need to encounter the living God. That's the message. That's the message of Genesis. So as we come to take communion now, my encouragement to you is not, not again, to just to see that as, I know you don't, but as a sort of ritual but it's just another opportunity where you can pray before you come and say, Lord, would you meet me as I come to take communion? When I first came to Washington, D.C., I had not been around a liturgical church in my life. I was kind of like a happy, clappy, charismatic type. That was me. And I was invited to a church. It was the hottest church I have ever been in in my life. And it was a small Anglican church, and the AC didn't work. So they, and it was, you know what DC's like in summer? It was really hot. And they had these huge fans blowing just to keep people cool. And I was actually strangely ill and running a fever. So I was running a fever in this sweaty, hot, terrible church. I'm like, what am I doing here? And they're doing all this liturgy stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what this is about. I mean, I vaguely do, but. 
And then it was time for communion. I pulled my, I'd more or less lain flat, horizontal, by one of these fans, saying, please let this die, let it finish. Let me die or let it finish? One, one of the two, I don't really care. But, um, and I went up, and the people in front of me, and you're in your line, and the people in front of me, they, they, they knelt. What? They knelt down to take communion and put their hands out like that. I hadn't seen something like that. I thought that's what Roman Catholics did, and I'm not a Roman Catholic. So I'm going... I'm like, well, they, they're doing it. I'm, I'm just going to do it because I can't be the only one in the line who doesn't do it. So I get and I kneel down and put my hands out and bam, I'm in tears. And God met me in that moment. I don't know why. God's God. I'm not. You can't force these things. But you can open yourself to the possibility that you can encounter the living God. And that's what you need. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, in small ways and big ways, and unexpected ways and usual ways, we're here to encounter you because we need you. We need the living God, Lord. And Lord, you came uh, to Jacob in a dream. You've come to other people in many other ways, Lord. But I pray for all my friends here that, Father, that you would meet them now in the week ahead, in the days ahead, in the way that they need to be met. That they too would know again or know for the first time what it is to encounter the living God. So now as we continue to worship, as we pray, as we come and take communion, Lord, be with us, be present to us. Send your angels, Lord. Work your sovereign purposes through us. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Oh!